Thank you. Good morning. My name is Mike Gary. I'm the pastor here at Communitas Church. And Communitas is a church that exists to love God, to love people, uh, and to build disciples who walk in grace, grow in their faith, connecting groups, and generously serve and using their gifts to build disciples here in the Brainerd Lakes area and around the world. So we have worshipped, as Nick has kind of introed, we have worshipped just through gathering, just coming together today and submitting to one another, opening our lives up to one another, uh, is in itself an act of of humility and, and an act of worship. And uh, we have also worshipped through the singing of songs. Sean and Emma have, have led us in that, and the proclamation of who God is and what He's done uh, for, in, and through His people. And uh, we will we have worshipped through uh, giving of tithes and the offerings, acknowledging that everything that we have, everything that uh, seen and unseen, has been created by God, and whatever has been given to us, that we are merely stewards of it for a time, and that we trust God uh, in that. And we will. Uh, Worship through uh, preaching, the proclamation of God's Word, the reading of Scripture. And before we do that, we're going to worship through communion. And the way that we do communion here, we celebrate what is called open communion. That means that you do not have to be a member of our church to take communion. We just ask that you would be a repentant follower of Jesus. And so if that is you, come on up to the table. If you look around, we've got a bunch of little people around here. And so parents, we're going to leave that up to you as to whether uh, you... Um, We'll let you discern whether it is appropriate for your kids to partake of communion. And and communion is kind of a, a it's a different meal, right? We've talked about this where you know we go okay, so it's uh, it's some gluten free crackers and some Costco juice. Like why? Like of all the things that we do, you know, we spend time to in preparation for sermons and preaching, and you know, we spend time with, you know practicing instruments and writing songs and and all these different things that we do, and then. And then communion. Like in some ways it seems a little bit anticlimactic, doesn't it? Like a little bit of cracker, like half a swig of juice. And and yeah, like so why is it that that is what had been a mark of the early church? Like in the after the time like in the act during the, the period of Acts and in the, at the time of teaching, and like after Jesus had, had rose from the dead and reappeared to his disciples, and people are going around going, Why? Why are these, these Christ followers, like they gather for this meal and it isn't even all that filling. And, and since that time, it has always been something that is, that is separated and kind of been distinct of the Christian church. And it's also what unifies us. So regardless of, you know, we, we all disagree and agree on a number of different things. This is one of the uniting factors within the Christian church. So if you go around the, the, the city, the county, the state, the country, the, the whole planet, there are going to be churches around the globe today celebrating this meal. And so as we celebrate this here together, that is one of our unifying acts that we do. And, and so what this does is this, this says, like, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. And it's, it's up to us to, to look out for one another. And it's a reaffirmation that says that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I've put off the old self. I'm putting on the new. And what we're going to do is we're going to enter into a time of, of reflection. Uh, we've got little people here who make noise, and that is okay. And that is not going to stymie our time together. And so we're going to just ask a few questions of, of who is God and what is he doing 
in my life? Who is the Holy Spirit and how is the Holy Spirit working through me? And who is Jesus and how does my life uh, and, and Jesus' life, how do they, what's going on there? Does my life look like Jesus' Because we don't grade ourselves on the curve, we grade ourselves on the cross and by His grace. And in this time of reflection, there, this could be a time that, that convicts where the Holy Spirit may, as we're listening, the Holy Spirit may say, hey, there's some things that we've got to work on together. It may be a time that, that the Holy Spirit confirms and says, hey, you're doing some of these things. Well, keep going. Keep doing that. And it'll probably be a mix of both. And in each of the, and regardless, each of those should help us to better convey the truth about who God is and what He's done and who we are and what we're to be doing in this world. And so, again, so asking those questions, who is God? What has He done? Who is, the, who is Jesus and, and how is my life looking like His? And who's the Holy Spirit and what is the Holy Spirit doing in my life? And, is it, and hopefully in this time we will we'll be convicted, we'll be confirmed, and we'll come to a better understanding of how to convey the truth of who Jesus is uh, to the world around us. There's no timeline on this. Whenever you're ready, come on up. Grab the elements set out to your right and to your left. Bring them back to your seats. And then we'll all partake of the meal together. If you're here and you're going, I have no idea who this Jesus guy is and this meal seems totally just bizarre to me, uh, that's fine. We're glad that you're here. This is a good place and you're with good people. And we'd love to have a conversation with you about any questions that you might have. Uh, of, of kind of what we're doing here and what, what the faith is all about. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll enter into a time of silence. And um, as you're ready, come on forward to grab those elements. I'll read some words from Scripture and we'll continue worshiping. Lord, we thank you for this meal and this offer that you have to um, unite us and to bring us uh, together with you and with one another. And so we pray, Lord, that you would quiet our, our, our minds and still our hearts, and Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us in this time. And Jesus, we, we look at your life and we know that uh, we don't measure up. And so we thank you for your sacrifice and the work of your Spirit in us and for your grace. And as we partake of this meal, may we also partake of your grace and grow in faith to serve you. I'm still pretty impressed. I think we don't know of many places that I can go in my world where I can find this many people all in the same place in silence and listening. So, uh, very impressed by you all. This is the last time that Jesus was together with his friends instead of giving them a textbook or a manual or a printout or a to-do list. He gives them a meal as a foretaste of what is to come. And it was a meal that, and, and he took what had been a meal that had symbolized remembrance of a past event. And, and he kind of rewrites the script and says, I want you to remember this as, as part of who you are as your identity, as you're going to go out and invite people into this reality. And he takes the bread and after he bless it, he gave it to them and said, take and eat. This is my body. And as the meal went on, he took the cup. 
And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for that forgiveness and for that covenant. And we pray that our participation in this meal will be symbolic of our participation in your life. We thank you for your presence here among us and within us. Amen. Okay, at this point in time, there are some blue buckets that are going to make their way around. And uh, if you'd throw these in there, we'll dispose of them for you. At this time, we've got uh, two readers that are going to come up and read, uh, Miss Julie and uh, Mr. Matt Postier. And uh, so feel free to flip open to the book of Acts. Uh, that is a New Testament book. So we've been in Matthew for the better part of the last year. We kind of skipped around throughout Advent. And uh, so if you can find Matthew, just keep flipping through to the book of Acts. If you have a mobile device, feel free to pull that out, tap, swipe, do whatever you need to do to find that there. And um, you may have seen this graphic. So we're, we're in Ephesians. Now uh, that'll be the, the series that we will be doing for the next while. Um, but to give some background to that, we want to start in the book of Acts. So we'll be in the book of Acts, chapter 18. We'll start in verse 24, and we'll go uh, to the first part of chapter 20. And this is going to kind of highlight Paul's time in Ephesus. And the letter of Ephesians was written uh, back to this church that was happening in this town years later. Now, uh, just as a way of quick review, one of the things that I really appreciated that George brought up uh, last week was that, and if you didn't hear George's sermon last week, uh, get on the podcast and listen to that because that was awesome. And so one of the things that he talked about was that sometimes we have this tendency to get way down and like, you know, when we're reading scripture and we kind of get super microscopic and we, we kind of lose, how's that saying go? We lose the forest through the trees. I never quite understand that one, but I don't think I ever say it right. Maybe I did there. But we kind of lose this focus, and so what we want to do is we want to give some background. Now, does anyone remember when we did that casket empty thing and we talked about what all those letters mean in that? Do we have anybody that remembers? I know there are some little kids that really remembered that. Do we have anybody that remembers what C stands for? Is it creation? And then came, what was the next one? Abraham, and then after Abraham was Sinai, and after Sinai was kings, and then we got... Exile, always the tricky one. And then is it temple, there we go. Okay, what came after temple? There was that period of expectations. There we go. And then we have, uh, then, then what happened? Then the Messiah, and then Pentecost, teaching, and yet to come. So that, you know, we, we use that as a way to kind of guide through the Bible. So uh, creation. Abraham, Sinai, kings, exile, temple, expectations, Messiah, Pentecost, teaching, and yet to come. And so this period that we're going to be talking about today takes place in the teaching, but we're going to, it's going to highlight the way that the Holy Spirit worked throughout each of those periods. And so we want to just have a, a little conversation about that. So Julie, whenever you are ready, start us off in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, 
He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue for three months, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And then I have verse 11, sons of Sceva. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their disease left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jews, Jewish exorcists, undertook to evoke the name, to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greek, and a fear fell upon all of them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And the number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself staying in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. 
for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together. With the workmen in similar trades, he said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in also all of Asia, this Paul is persuading and turning away a great many people, saying that God, saying that gods made by the hands are not gods. And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come to disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worships. When they heard this, they were enraged and, and were crying out, Great is Artemis of Ephesus, or of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristic, Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among them, among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they, were, why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand, wanting to make a defense to the crowd. But they did not recognize. But they, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out in one voice, "Great is Artemis of the Ephesians!" And when the when the town clerk quieted the crowd, he said, "Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city?" Of the Ephesians is the temple keeper for the great Artemis, and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here, who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. And they are, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in a regular assembly. For we are really in, we really are in danger of being charged with riot today, since there is no cause for what we give to justify the commotion. And when when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. All right. Amen. Thank you, Matt, and thank you, Julie, for reading, and thank you, Lord, for your word and the way that it has been preserved and um, that we're able to read it here publicly and talk about it, and we pray for your church in areas where there is that is not the case. Okay. Kids. This is the time of our service where you get to head out toward that door over in the corner there. And uh, Nick and Sarah and Julie and Luke and Leah and Lily all have a great lesson planned for you. And so, Lord, we thank you for these kids. Um, and we thank you for Pamela and Nick and Sarah and Julie and Luke and Leah and Lily and their willingness to help out 
and to serve. And we pray that uh, we would be examples of what it is to follow you and uh, that we would help these children grow in maturation of faith. Amen. Okay. I've told this story before, but uh, I worked at a guest ranch in Colorado for a little while, and um, it was a pretty cool place. And and uh, I remember going out there, and you know, so you cross the cattle guard or whatever else, and, and you kind of see like there's the name of the ranch or whatever else. And, and I meet the owner, and um, you know, we chat a little bit, and I get a little better sense of what's been going on. He and I had chatted on the phone, and I'd I'd looked at the website, and so I, I had a vague idea of of what I was getting into. But then it wasn't until we sat in a staff meeting. And, you know, and he told us, hey, this is your ranch. This is your ranch. This is your ranch. But that's when it really started to, to sink in. Because up until then, I just thought, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to show up. I'm going to punch the clock. I'm going to do my thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to carry on. And, and he said, no, this is, this is yours. Because when we own something that transforms us, right? Like all of a sudden there's some, there's vested interest and there'd been great cost to him and to his family living out in a remote area like that. And, you know, kind of taking the financial risk, but now all of a sudden the cost was on me too. And, uh, and so it really like, it really kind of just welds some stuff up within us. And it was neat to see the way that, that the community around us kind of transformed in order to serve the guests that came there. And, and even though we weren't necessarily the, the best at everything, we, we were the best at serving those who came to us. And so as I was re- I, I just I couldn't get that out of my head as I was reading and I was reading these stories. And so I, I want to just go through, and there's, there's four different things I want to just kind of chat, give us a little bit of background on. And so starting with this guy, Apollos, and just looking at how the response to the cross will cost. One way or another, our response to the cross will cost. And so we got this guy, Apollos, right? And it says, and it's always interesting when you pay attention to proper nouns, especially geographic things. And uh, we're reading in the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts, just a quick background, is, is the second part of this letter that Luke writes to a guy named Theophilus. So the Gospel of Luke was written by Luke. And then the second book was the, this collection of Acts by the, uh, the various the apostles and the, and the disciples. And so it's historical. It's, it's an observation. And so he's going through and he's just writing down all these different things that happen. And uh, this was one of the things when C.S. Lewis was coming to the faith, one of the things he said was, I was reading the scriptures and it didn't read like fantasy. And if you read through the book of Acts, it isn't a, this fanciful, you know, mystical book. There's, there's things you can look at. There's proper nouns. And so we have Apollos. We have a guy's name and he was from... Alexandria. And you can look on a map and you can find out where Alexandria was. And Alexandria was the capital of Egypt. And, at the, and um, if you were around when we were talking uh, through the Casket Empty series, you may remember that in the period of expectations, this, pot, this time between uh, Malachi and Matthew, there was all this duress and all this stress and this chaos going on in the world where all the world's superpowers were just you know, clashing with one another. And it was just this really rowdy time. But during that time, this guy named Ptolemy decides, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to collect all of these different uh, great works of, of literature and religion, and I'm going to amass this large library in Alexandria. 
And so, and it just, and then, so I just love that now here, a few hundred years later, this Jew named Apollos that had been living in Alexandria was competent in the scriptures, despite the fact that he lived so far from kind of his central hub, but he lived in this place where the scriptures had been translated into his native language and he's able to read them and grow in his competency with the scriptures. Like, do you believe and do you see the way that the Holy Spirit is moving, not just in the book of Acts, but leading up and informing various parts of our story and where we are in our life? And so, so we've got Apollos and he's, and he's, and he's teaching in the synagogues, and so he's learned this stuff, and he's traveling around. He's made it to, to Ephesus, which is kind of in modern-day Turkey. And, um, and he's there, and he's, and he's teaching, and he's preaching in the synagogue. And, and the, these folks, this, um, Priscilla and Aquila, they're like, oh, you're a little bit, you're a little bit off. And you, know, you notice they, they walk right up to him, and they shake him. They're like, dude, you're wrong. <laughs> no, they don't do that, do they? They grab him, they say, hey, like, we recognize that that you know what you're talking about, but there's a couple little holes here. And they, they kind of pull them aside and they, they fill in the gaps where I'm like, hey, this is, this is what we've been learning. This is what, what's going on. And, and, uh, and you know, this kind of fills in, the, fills in the picture. And then as a result of that, Apollos is sent out by the other disciples and he goes and we'll read about him in other areas of the New Testament. He continues to travel around through Asia Minor and, and bolster the church and, and teach others. And then we see these, these disciples that, so Paul runs into these, these disciples that um, they'd heard of, of John's baptism. And, and, and so Paul's thinking, okay, cool. Like, I got some, some fellow believers here. Like, this is great. Um, you know, he's, he's going around planting churches. And uh, Paul has had this really radical conversion experience where he had once been a persecutor of the church. And now he goes on to become one of the great proponents and, and kind of accelerators and, and church planters. And, and so he's, he's hanging out in Ephesus and he meets these people and he's like, oh, I think we're on the same page. And, and then they're like, oh, we don't even know, like, we don't know there's a Holy Spirit. And then Paul kind of has to put the brakes on. And he's like, oh, Okay. And kind of a fun little lesson. So if you're ever having a conversation with someone, it's kind of a pastoral moment. You understand. You all of a sudden realize that uh, there's something that they don't know that you know. That is not a time to lord it over them. That is a time to ask clarifying questions, as Paul does, and then teach them. Um, and then and then teach them. And so they're confused, and and Paul's like, "Oh yeah, let me tell you." You know, John's baptism was good. It was, it's good of you to repent and, and to say that you're sorry and to turn and go a different way. But it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you'll be able to walk in this way. And so sometimes this passage of Scripture can be used for various different doctrines of, of, uh, of the Holy Spirit. And I think when we look back, and kind of as George said, when you, when you kind of step back a little ways and you look at the greater story, we see that this is this great pastoral moment. Okay? Because if you spend any time in the church or just in life, you'll realize that sometimes when you think that people have an idea of what's going on, like all of a sudden they come up with this really bizarre thing that doesn't really make any sense. And so Paul says, oh, I'm gonna, like, we just have to spend a little bit of time I want to clarify what's going on. And then he prays for them 
And the Holy Spirit wells up inside these folks. And all of a sudden, now Paul went from being by himself to now he's got 12 other people along with him. And so if we look, so I love this. And so just check out uh, 19, verse 7, or verse 6. And Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. So now there's 12. So there was once one, now there's 12. And then Paul enters the synagogue, and for three months he speaks boldly, which is, this is kind of a record for Paul. Uh, if you read about Paul and other things, he's kind of a feisty little guy. Like, I mean, he's, like, he doesn't really mince words, and he doesn't get to stay very, very long in very many places. Like, he's one of those guys, if he came to speak, you probably didn't invite him back very often. He's very polarizing. And, uh, and so, for about three months, kind of the longest he'd been there, you know, he's starting to get a little better. He's a little bit softer. And Ephesus, you know, the people were a little bit more lenient. They, yeah, we'll, we'll listen to what you have to say. And then finally, after about three months, they're like, uh, Paul, you got to go. And so Paul goes to uh, the hall of Tyrannus. And, um, and so if we can get a picture of that up. You can actually go to this place. So this is uh, what the hall of Tyrannus looks like now. And uh, it was this big lecture hall. And, and it says that Paul preached uh, in the middle of the day. And so we have historical records that would indicate that Paul preached from about 11 o'clock in the morning until 4 in the afternoon every day for two years. And assuming that he took the day, it took uh, Sabbath off, that would give him about six days, and he would be preaching about, uh, you know, a little over 3,000 hours that he spent preaching in Tyrannus over a two year period. I shoot for about a a uh, 22 to 25, maybe at most a 30-minute sermon. So if you include our communion talk and my sermon together, you're looking at about 30 minutes of, cont- of content, which would be uh, the equivalent, so that 3,000 hours that Paul preaches would be about the equivalent of 6,000 Sundays of material that Paul covered while he's at the Hall of Tyrannus. I'm not good at math, but I think we're getting into years of Sundays that Paul spends preaching to these people for two years. And if we look in verse 10, what happens? This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. He starts with 12. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, all of Asia Minor hears the good news of Jesus Christ. And this isn't even like, we're, and where there's still more exciting things to come. Then we get into uh, the sons of Sceva, which, I mean, this is a wild story, right? Uh, so there were these sorcerers. So Ephesus, um, if we can bring up the picture of the temple of Artemis, um, just give you a little quick historical background thing. So this was the temple of Artemis. Um, it's huge. Those little white things down there in the steps, those are people. Those columns, there were 127 of those columns. They were, and uh, the building itself was 60 feet tall. It was 420 feet long. That's longer than an American football field. It was 220 feet wide. That's wider than the, a hockey rink is long. And 60 feet tall. If it were in uh, Brainerd today, it would be the third largest or third tallest building in town behind uh, the high rise apartments and the hospital. And it was built like in, um, you know, 25, 
thousand years or twenty five hundred years ago. Not bad craftsmanship. Uh, inlaid entirely of marble, uh, of white marble. And, uh, and Alexander the Great offered to fund it, but the citizens of Ephesus were like, nah, it's cool, we got it. Do you think there's a little bit of civic pride wrapped up in this building? Yeah, just a bit. And, and so Ephesus, you know, we hear about that word, that, that town now, and we read through the list of places where Paul went, and he mentions Jerusalem and he mentions Rome. Those are two cities that are surrounded. Ephesus now is, is not really much going on, but at the time, it was one of the very most important cities in the Roman Empire. And so Paul says, I'm going I'm to start off, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he comes back up, and he's going to hit Ephesus on his way to Rome. One man. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go to the cultural bedrock of my people. Then I'm going to go and I'm going to stop in, uh, in this cultural and commercial trade center, this town of Ephesus. And then I'm going to go to the, wor- the, the, the capital of the world's superpower, Rome. Why is he doing this? Because he's got this Holy Spirit that's welling up inside of him. And he's like, i got a message to preach and people need to hear it. And so he spends 3,000 hours in the Hall of Tyrannus and all of Asia Minor hears about it. And, and then these, these sorcerers in the area, because this is kind of a religious hotbed, uh, these sorcerers are, are walking around, and at the time, the secret was, uh, you know, you, you had a pout, like you had these magical books, right? And, um, and so it was, it was a secretive thing. So you didn't want other people to know what your magic spell was. And so these sorcerers, these seven sons of Sceva, and so this, these people would have been, um, it says that they're kind of itinerant Jewish exorcists, and so what they would have been was kind of a mix of, of they took a little bit of the Jewish religion, a little bit of the pagan religion, and they're mixing it together, and they're going around and saying, oh, we know this, like we have this powerful name. Like we understand why the Jews have their power. It's because of this name, Jesus, and this guy, Paul. And so they're going up, and like, could you imagine? Like, put yourself in this this scenario, right? Like, you finally think that you've got it. You've got this figured out. You know, you're one of the sons of Sceva, and you and you walk up to this person, and you think, oh, I'm going to make a little bit of money because this person thinks that they have a demon or whatever else, and I'm going to cast that out of them. And so you walk up to him and you're just like, hey, so uh, in the name of Jesus that Paul talks about, I, I demand you to come out. And then all of a sudden, the, like the spirit starts talking to you. Like the person that, you know, you're going to, oh, I'm going to cast this demon. It'll be sweet. And then the person's like, yeah, um, we know about Jesus and we've heard of Paul. Who are you? Like, I'd be gone. Like, yep, see ya. Like that, I'd be making tracks. You'd be hard pressed to keep up with me at that point in time. But the spirit takes over the people and, and beats them in like, right in the scripture, right here, it says it beats him naked and wounded. Like this is like a hockey fight. Stick, glove, shirt. And I mean, they're just like peeling stuff off, this cosmic beat down. And, and what happens as a result of that? The sorcerers in that area bring forward their books. They divulge their secrets. They come clean. They confess. And this church grows in number and in purity. And they give 50,000 pieces of silver. We're not sure historically, but if that would have been a drachma, uh, a pretty common coin at the time, that would have been equivalent to 50,000 days of work. I'm not great at math. That's somewhere like 130 years of wages given right there as a result of this. The Holy Spirit is on the move in these people. And then I love this, this riot that's in, that ensues. 
And um, because whenever you, you'll notice, like wherever the the gospel and our finances intersect, there's always going to be some some tension, isn't there? And so this guy Demetrius is like, hey, so Demetrius would have um, inside of this temple, there would have been um, uh, a statue of Artemis or Diana, if you're Roman. And and Demetrius and his friends, they were making these little trinkets that you could you could buy. And so they'd made, you know, apparently some decent money on this. And and all of a sudden, Paul is preaching this gospel and people aren't as interested in Artemis. They're not as interested in a handmade God. And so they gather these people together and, and uh, so Demetrius gets his friends together. This guild would have been more, not even like a union, it had been like a, this great society of people. And they get, he gets them all together and they pack them into this theater. we got a picture of this theater. Um, holds 50,000 people. And there are about 25,000 people in that theater all chanting, all really mad. And, uh, and so, and what I love about this interaction is we see, so Paul is thinking like, oh, there's 25,000 people? Yep, I'm going to get my preach on. And, and then the Asiarchs, these would have been uh, magistrates of the area, not necessarily believers, grab Paul and they're like, I don't know if you've seen a silversmith, but they're kind of strong. They'll kill you. Let's go back over this way. And so, and so I, I just love that Demetrius, and we see all these non-believers that are affirming what is going on and what the Spirit is doing in and through the people of God throughout Asia Minor. And as a result, the gospel continues to radiate out from Ephesus because people are coming into town and heading back out to where they're going. We talk about here gathering and scattering. And so they come in, they gather together, and they scatter out throughout the known world. And so the Holy Spirit always reaches out to meet broken people in their weakness. I remember... Um, shortly before we we were leaving Boston, uh, I was listening to a friend of mine uh, give a give a talk, and and one of the things he said was, um, "Don't be surprised when the Holy Spirit uses your greatest weakness to show God's great glory." And um, I never intended to be a preacher, never intended to be a solo pastor. Um, always thought if I was going to be on church staff, I'd be with you know a few others and and I'd do some discipleship stuff, maybe help out with some music, whatever else. I, I took one preaching class in college like 12 years ago. Um, some of you are like, yeah, we know. Uh, <laughs> I'm working on it. Um, you know, didn't take classes in pastoral ministry, and but the moment he, he said this, he says, you know, don't be surprised when God uses your greatest weakness to show His great strength. I just thought, man, I just like. I was, we were, Megan and I, had, like, we'd spent some time fasting and praying and, and getting ready. We were, we were set to move back to Bemidji. We were going to open up a, uh, I was going to open a retreat center with my undergrad for pastoral uh, kind of counseling and lay leader training and things like that. And we were moving in that direction. And, and he said that. He said, Don't be surprised when God uses your greatest weakness to show his great strength. I just thought, Oh man, I know that, like, it is the first two things that came to my mind was solo pastor and preaching. I was like, that's like that would be that would be my great weakness as a as a minister. And so any kind of success that that we have here or any kind of success that I have as a minister is not due to my talents or my education, but to the Holy Spirit working in and through 
me and you and all of us here. And so I want to take some time to look at the responses that we go and we'll just kind of go in reverse order. So with Demetrius, we see that the Lord is Lord, whether you believe it or not. And so your response to the cross will have a cost whether you believe it or not. And so for Demetrius, it was financial. And he was concerned about his well-being. And, and understandably so, the guy wants to work, but he gets all torn up and all bent out of shape. And he, and he, get, you know, he gets this big riot and, and we get this group think. But I love that amidst that, the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of others to even those who don't believe in the Lord. We see that you know, they're, they're protecting Paul and they're speaking well of the Gospel. And so let that be, I, I've just always been intrigued by that. I had, I had a friend one time, we were at a group, and not even a believer, but like, what would it look like if, if we acted in such a way that even the unbelieving world would speak well of us as a church? Because we're here, it's our job to to rep him well. Uh, if, I don't know if you're in any kind of athletics, but one of the things we used to say was the name on the on the front of the jersey is far more important than the name on the back. In cowboy lingo, we would say "ride for the brand," and what that meant was, you know, it wasn't about you. There was something far greater going on. And then when we look at the, the sorcerers and the sons of Sceva, Jesus is not your cosmic sugar daddy. He's not somebody that you just get to invoke his name once in a while to try to get what you want. As George talked about last week, more and more our will and God's will should be coming into line with one another. And if there's ever a time when, when God's word comes against our thoughts, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet the farm on the fact that God's word is, is right on that one. And so Jesus is not here just to, you know, to, to help us get our way, but He's the Lord that's inviting us to follow Him on His way. And when we're faced with people who are confused and aren't really sure what's going on, we see in the sons of Sceva and these sorcerers, it's important to ask questions. To listen and to hear what's going on with people. So when we just sit and talk the whole time, what would have happened if Paul would have just gone on, think, got on chatting? He wouldn't have understood that these people were lost and confused and they needed someone to teach them. And so then how do we do that? I love Priscilla and Aquila's example here. You know, it could be, re- be really easy to get all hot and bothered with what Apollos is doing, but they don't. The Spirit is welled up within them and they come up and they say, hey, we got to talk to you because what's going on here, what we're trying to do, what this church is about is far more important than our pride. We want to talk to you and, and, and we're going to have a conversation and we're going to correct you. And then in all of these, the result is what happens. The Gospel flourishes. And so this sort of transformation of community begins to affect the culture at large, doesn't it? Apollos goes out and continues to make disciples. The sorcerers confess all that they're doing, show all of their tricks, give back the money that they'd been 
that they'd been taking from the people. The disciples that hear about the Holy Spirit go on with Paul to continue to make more disciples. And it gets to such a, and it, it, it changes and infects the culture in such a way that even though there's, there are these people that, you know, imagine like going to kind of the cultural center and, and, and Paul is speaking against what brought this, this city their money. And the city leaders are saying they haven't done anything wrong. We've got to let them go. We've got to let them be. And they protect them. Because transformation of community affects culture. I mentioned the ranch at the beginning. It wasn't special because we had the prettiest horses, the best facility, or you know the best price, or the greatest food. All those were really good. But you could go elsewhere and you could swap and trade, but people came to us. Why? Because the community that existed there had been transformed. It was a different kind of people. And so that's what we're trying to do here at Communitas. And over the next um, few months, we're going to be going through the, the book of Ephesians and just talk about the greatness of God and the unity of His people. And so we want to be a church that exists and, and transforms the culture around us. And the only way that we do that is that we recognize the fact that the very same Spirit that welled up within Priscilla and Aquila to talk to Apollos, the very same Spirit that Paul uh, talks with these, these young disciples about, the very same Spirit that um, caused these sorcerers to get rid of their practice, to abandon it completely and to follow the Lord. The very same Spirit that worked within Paul to, and, the, and the disciples when they were confronted with this great riot in Ephesus, that very same Spirit is alive and well within us who follow Christ. And so as we think about being a church that walks in grace, that grows in our faith, to connect in groups, to learn our gifts, and to generously serve the Brainerd Lakes area and around the world. Like this needs, like, does this not captivate you? Does this not grip you a little bit? That very same spirit is alive and working and is here with us today in you and working through you for the glory of God. And so Paul continues to lay this foundation in Jerusalem and Ephesus and Rome, and he presses on, just as we press on to push back against the gates of hell that seek to destroy those around us. And so you might go, okay, well, what if I don't do that? Like, what's, what's the cost? The cost is twofold. One, those in suffering continue to suffer. Those who are lost in agony, whether they know it or not, continue in that path. And if we're so bound up and narcissistic that that doesn't move us, then let's get personal and we'll understand that like, if we don't get this, we ourselves will continue to walk in that brokenness, that suffering, that discontentment, whether we know the reason of it or not. There will be a perpetual itch in our soul that needs to get scratched. And it's only the balm of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ and the power of God which will solve this. 
And so as a result, just, church, we gotta, we've got to repent. We've got to receive the Gospel. Not just once, but daily. Far too often in evangelical Christianity, we think, I heard the Gospel once. I went forward at a meeting. or I, you know, I prayed a prayer or whatever else. I'm good. Not true. Ever. The Gospel is something that we continue to come back to. It's not a vaccine that we take once, but it's a daily, it's a daily dose. We continue to come back to the table of grace. And we continue to partake of this meal and we continue to walk in this way. And so when we talk about communion, about how we're accountable to one another, and we talk about, you know, this is, we have this opportunity where one, we get to, to speak with another and, and confirm what we're doing. Like, when you look around the room, it's, it's really fun. I don't know if you've, if you get to spend much time with, with other people in here. Like, there's people in this room. I love hearing your stories about the things that you're doing for the kingdom of God in your life. As a pastor, it's one of the greatest delights that I get. Like to hear about the people, what, what you're doing. And to just say, keep going. You're doing a great thing. Keep going. And once in a while we have these conversations where the Holy Spirit is, is convicting us and we have to say, hey, yeah, this isn't good. But let's, let's do this together. We have this Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos moment where we go, yeah, we're off base. Let's... Let's come back to the Scripture and let's move forward. And so we talk about confirmation, conviction. And then so that we can do what? We can convey to the unbelieving world around us. And so we continue to preach the Gospel to one another regardless of whether we're believers or not. Because even if we're a believer, if you're, if, even if you've been here, if you've been a Christian for longer than I've been alive, like, praise God that you're here. And we need that wisdom. Because it's vital. It's vital to us to continue to come back to the well and drink deeply. And so, help, and, and so I pray that you would just remember that your response to the cross has a cost. And the Holy Spirit is working within those who have taken up the cross and are following Jesus. The very same Spirit that worked within Paul throughout the New Testament, planting churches all over the place, and that has continued to spread the gospel around the world throughout church history. That very same Spirit is here with us today, working in and through you to bring a message of hope and grace to a lost and dying world that is desperately in need of it. And so as you think about your week ahead, what are the faces that come to mind? As you think about the greatness of God and the glory of who He is and the way that the Holy Spirit works in us in the life of Jesus, who are some of the people that you interact with on a daily basis or a weekly basis that need to know this, believers or not? Who are the people that, and what are the names and, and what are the faces that come to mind? Are you praying for them? Are you interacting with them? And if you're going, I have no idea what to do about this. I have, I, I've got people that I'm, I'm praying for. I've got no idea what the next step is. Great. Let's find out together. Talk to myself. Talk to one of the elders. Talk to other folks here. That's a great part about being together in unity. We experience the greatness of God together. And then we go out to spread that message of hope in the world around us. So, Sean and Emma come up to, to close, uh, close us. We'll pray. And we'll continue in our worship. Lord, we see that 
whatever our response is, there will be a cost. Physical harm was not outside of reality for Paul. Financial ruin was not outside of reality for Demetrius. But Lord, we see that it's by Your Spirit that we are made whole. And so Father, we we thank You for Your words. And I thank You for this church and these people here, Lord. I pray that You would continue to confirm us in the things that we are doing well. Convict us in the areas that we are not. That we would better convey Your truth to those around us. To a lost and dying world so desperately in need of Your life. There is no end to the love Spirit has and conveys and communicates and works in and through us for God's glory. The cross has a cost, but the Spirit is with us, continues to work in and through us to bring a message of hope to a lost and dying world. And so that as you go out this week, may the Holy Spirit confirm in you what you are doing that is good, convict you in what is you are doing which is wrong, that you might better convey the hope of the gospel as Paul did, using the same spirit to the world around you. Scott? Thanks, Mike, Sean, and Emma. Hey, just want to remind everyone, as Nick mentioned earlier, we do have a potluck coming up, and there's a lot of great food, so uh, we'd just love it if you could all join us, and I will uh, pray for the food. Dear Lord, um, just as I was listening to worship this morning, um, Sean and Emma were singing about your breath being in each and every one of us, and how... As Mike was was mentioning in in days of old, they had to go to the palace to worship Artemis. But but here we are. Um, You are in us. You are with us. We do not have to be here to talk about you, but to talk to you because you are here. So, Lord, we just recognize that you are worthy of all honor, glory, and power. For you have created all things by your will. All things were created and exist. Uh, So we uh, just recognize that as we sit down together to enjoy a meal that you have provided us. And just uh, have great fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.